Welcome to PRN, Pause, Renew, Next, a podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. I'm Jenny Detweiler, and friends, I am so glad you're here because today we are going to be talking about quite the story of faith, because this episode is a biography episode. If you've listened to this podcast long, you know that I love to do biography episodes because I think we can learn so much from women of faith who've gone before us. I try to consider a lot of factors in picking who I'm going to feature for a biography episode. First and foremost, is there enough information about this person to make an entire episode? Very often, there's not. But I also like to consider their faith walk, the fruit of their life, and I really try to find women from different time periods, backgrounds, and cultures. Some of the people I've talked about in previous episodes are Gladys Aylward, Sojourner Truth, Phyllis Wheatley, Josephine Butler, Esther Ann Kim, and Katerina Luther. Today, I'm excited to tell the life story of Amanda Berry Smith. Amanda Smith was known for many things, but primarily, she was an African-American evangelist in the late 1800s. She was a woman of extreme courage and faith, and if you haven't heard of her before, I cannot wait to introduce you. Let's start back at the beginning. Amanda was born in Long Green, Maryland on January 23, 1837. Her father's name was Samuel Berry and her mother's name was Miriam. Amanda was the oldest of 13 children, but it wasn't just any kind of household because you see her mother and father were both born slaves and they lived on adjoining farms. When her father's master died, his mistress gave him the chance to buy his own freedom. He worked very hard and I mean, very hard, like night and day, until he was able to buy his freedom. Then he hoped to buy his wife and children's freedom as well. Thanks to her father's hard work and her mother's mistress making a deathbed promise to set her mother and their children free, eventually the entire family was free from slavery. Her family then decided to move from Maryland and went to live on a farm in Pennsylvania. Both of her parents could read, and they instilled in their children a strong faith from an early age. On Sundays, her father would call the children around and read the Bible to them. They would always ask God's blessings over their meals, and before going to bed each night, Amanda was taught to say the Lord's Prayer. Now, she really didn't receive much formal schooling, but she taught herself to read by cutting large letters out of the newspaper. She would lay them on the window and ask her mother to make words out of them for her until she could read them herself. She barely went to school in her life, but as a 13-year-old, she went to school for about three months. But she didn't get a whole lot out of it. You see, the black students had to wait until the white students were done learning before they could begin their lessons. Between that and having to walk so far in the cold, it wasn't really worth it. Interestingly, her parents' home was one of the stations of the Underground Railroad, Amanda was steeped in courage and risk-taking for the good of others from a young age. In September of 1854, when she was 17 years old, Amanda married Calvin Devine, or Devine, I don't know how you say it. Her father said she was young, and she agreed, but she still wanted to get married anyway. Calvin told her all the nice things he would do for her, and she says that she believed it all, of course. Apparently, he was religious for his mother's sake and could talk a good talk when he was sober. Still, she says when he would drink, which apparently was often, that he was profane and unreasonable. 
They had two children together, but sadly, the first child died. Her second child, Maisie, lived into adulthood. Now, in 1855, an important and possibly prophetic event happened to Amanda. She grew very ill. She was so sick that her father told her the doctor said she was probably going to die and that she needed to pray. But Amanda didn't want to pray because she felt so tired. She just wanted to sleep. While she was asleep, she described being almost in a kind of trance. She saw an angel at the foot of her bed, and it told her three times, Go back. Then she dreamed she was at a large camp meeting with thousands of people. She felt she was supposed to preach on a platform high above all the people. In her dream, she opened the Bible and began to preach. Then, after a time, she woke up. And don't you know, she was much better and soon recovered. Although Amanda grew up with Christian beliefs in her household, she describes having a real conversion experience after a series of events where she felt the Lord drawing her and a difficulty letting go and allowing him to sanctify her totally. She said, O Lord, if thou wilt help me, I will believe thee. And she said he did. She felt peace and joy come into her soul and felt she was made new. She had a passion for God that stayed with her throughout her entire life. After this, the Civil War broke out. Her husband joined the army and headed south. Sadly, he never returned. She was now a widow and a single mother. But soon she met a new man named James Smith, a preacher who would become her second husband. She says that part of the reason for wanting to get married again was that she wanted to have a Christian home and serve God more perfectly. She thought marrying a preacher would help her to do that. Before they married, Amanda told James that she felt called to be an evangelist. He was agreeable and said that he was also getting ready to begin itinerant preaching. She believed him, and she thought that even if she was not an evangelist, she could be so helpful to him as a minister's wife. After they were married, though, he told her that he had never really planned to begin traveling and preaching, but had told her so because he was afraid she wouldn't marry him otherwise. She was heartbroken and felt fooled. She and James had several children together, but unfortunately, all of them died in infancy. Her husband took a position at a hotel in New York City, and the couple then moved to the city. They had an unhappy marriage and often lived separately. In order to help support them, Amanda did odd jobs, often taking in washing and ironing work. She describes that many times she would stand at her wash tub or ironing board all night and day sometimes leaning her head on the window ledge to sleep between work. As an aside, Amanda writes in her autobiography about how she often did some of her best prayer time while working and working and working because she did a lot of it. She liked to encourage other mothers that the Lord would meet them wherever they were, that he would supply their needs and give them grace and patience and long-suffering. She did such menial labor and lived much of her life in poverty, yet her spiritual life flourished. Reading her autobiography is interesting because it's written just as she says it, like she's talking to you. She randomly breaks into hymns or benedictions right in the middle of a page. She also writes out her prayer life, so it's easy to understand her internal struggles. She talks about feeling the Lord tell her one thing and immediately having the devil tell her something different. Now, many of us have these kind of doubts, negative thoughts, or oppressive experiences, 
but she makes it so clear and real in the way that she writes. You can really see the back and forth of her struggles with temptation and with fear. In other words, she was a real human. She may have had a lot of courage and faith, but she was completely real and authentic. Her marriage with James was difficult, and she prayed about it often. She tried to help her husband and be supportive, but says that often he was mean and unkind, and she continued to pray that God would help her. In 1869, her husband James died, and Amanda did not remarry. After two unhappy marriages and the loss of so many babies, one really can't blame her. She lived the rest of her life as a single woman and was then more free to do the work that was put on her heart to do. Amanda was very in tune with the Spirit's leading and purposed in her heart to be obedient. Here's one small example. A friend invited her to go to the fair. She didn't want to go, but felt the Lord tell her that she should, and that she should take some tracks with her. While she was there, she felt God tell her to speak to a particular young man, so she did. She went home and felt she needed to pray for the guy. A few days later, she found out that the same young man had died later that week. She was so thankful that she'd obeyed the Spirit's leading. This kind of event was pretty commonplace for her life, as you'll soon see. You could say that she was well aware of divine appointments. Amanda was very active in her church. She went to different churches, primarily African-American churches in the area where she lived, and would often testify, speak a word, or sing. But then she felt the Lord was telling her to leave New York and go out. She didn't know where, and this worried her. But she says that God gave her the words, Go, and I will go with you. She said, I will, but tell me where. He told her to go to Salem, New Jersey. She exclaimed, Salem? I don't know anyone there. Please make it clear to me if that's really what you're saying. But she heard it again. Now she wrestled on many fronts about this calling. Remembering that God sent out his disciples two by two, she began to pray and look for a partner to go with her. But the Lord told her again, Go, and I will go with you. She realized that he was going to be faithful and be her partner wherever he led her. It wasn't easy, though, but in October 1870, she left her home and headed toward Salem, New Jersey. However, when she got to Philadelphia, she decided to stay there a little while and work there for a time. She started to lose some courage. She was there for about a week. She didn't have much money, but the Lord provided what she needed. And so she traveled onward. She prayed, Lord, what would you want me to say to the people in Salem? I don't have a message. She wrestled back and forth a few times. And the Lord continued to confirm that it would be made known to her when she got to the place that she would stay. On the boat during her journey, she ran into Brother Holland, a man who had been her pastor eight years before. She told him what she was doing, and he said that he didn't believe in women preaching, but that he had nothing to say about her. He told her to go on and said, the Lord bless you. When she got to Salem, she saw Brother Holland again, and he was preaching at a church there. He introduced her before the church. He preached a short sermon, then called her up to speak and encourage. She was terrified. But after talking a while, her fear subsided, and she said that she lost sight of everybody and everything but her responsibility to God and to the people. They announced that she would preach Thursday night. When Thursday came, the church was packed. She describes that the Lord convicted sinners and backsliders, and people filled the altar. Then, a revival broke out and spread for 20 miles around. 
And that, friends, was the beginning of her evangelistic journey. From there, she began to travel, going from place to place, particularly Methodist Holiness Camp meetings, as the Spirit led and opportunities presented themselves. Reading about her journey is a real faith builder because she truly was dependent for almost every step of her journey. The Lord would provide money right when she needed it. She seemed to always be making contacts with people who would be going to where she was going, kind of like providential networking. At one camp meeting, she describes feeling like wherever she went, the crowd would follow her, not just because she was a great preacher, but because of the color of her skin. Wherever she went, she would hear them saying, oh, here's that colored woman, look. She was embarrassed and ashamed and wanted to get away. She told her friend, Sister Clark, who encouraged her. And so she prayed for the courage and grace to allow herself to be gazed at all day. Often people would remark to her how she seemed to be treated so nicely wherever she went. She said, I have more to contend with than you may think. If you want to know and understand properly what Amanda Smith has to contend with, just turn black and go about as I do, and you will come to a different conclusion. She declared that people would understand the quintessence of sanctifying grace if they could be black for about 24 hours. There are many examples of how she was treated differently because of her race. One example happened during an overnight trip. If she'd been white, she would have been able to stop at a hotel. But because she was a single woman and black, she had to stay all night in a waiting room. She couldn't touch some people's things, stay at certain places, or go to all the same restaurants or accommodations. And those were just a few of the issues. One time, a woman asked her that if she had the choice, wouldn't she rather be white? No, no, she said. I thank God that I'm satisfied with my color. She said if she'd had a choice in it as a child, she would have asked to be pea green, since that was her favorite color when she was little. Thankfully, the Lord didn't turn her green, and she agreed that God's color choice for her was the best. It's Christ's blood that makes whiteness, she says. Amen. Interestingly, besides being African-American, the fact that she was a woman also created a lot of resistance for her. Particularly in the South and on some of her missionary journeys to foreign countries. Her way of dealing with this issue was generally to pray and wait for God to open up opportunities for her obedience to what he had called her to do. She didn't argue about her position or her calling. She just waited, and often her reputation preceded her. After preaching in the North for a while, Amanda felt called to go to Knoxville. She was afraid about it and prayed, but felt the message was clear for her to go. She asked God that if he really wanted her to go, would he please give her $50 for the trip? Then she felt settled about it. Others warned her that the Ku Klux were down there, but she felt God tell her that his grace was sufficient for her, and so she pressed on. She never told anyone about her prayer. When she spoke at a meeting the next Sunday, a woman gave her $50, saying that the Spirit had told her to give $50 to Amanda to go to Knoxville. The woman later explained that she could have given her $100, but the Lord had been so clear, give her $50. These sorts of experiences happen to Amanda all the time. She would pray for needs to be met, and they were, so specifically. After a time, the way opened up for Amanda to go to England. She planned to be there three months, and Maisie was in school and looked after by her aunt. However, she did not come back after three months. She didn't come back again for 12 years. 
After three months, she felt she needed to stay longer, and after six months, she was positive that God wanted her to stay. She sent home money for her daughter and made arrangements for her for two years. Now, at this time, Maisie wasn't a tiny little girl anymore. She was mostly grown and in school. And after a time, she became a teacher and wrote to her mother that she'd been proposed to and that she planned to get married. Amanda was alarmed. She urged her to come to England and wait a while, but Maisie decided to get married anyway. Probably because she'd endured difficult marriages herself, Amanda was afraid for her daughter. Thankfully, Maisie married well, and Amanda felt her son-in-law was kind and cared for her daughter well. Amanda traveled around England, doing much the same that she had done in America. While in England, she experienced a new wave of fame, though. She saw posters up saying, Mrs. Amanda Smith, converted slave from America, will give gospel addresses and sing in Victoria Hall for so many days. This made her nervous. After her first day speaking at this hall, a crowd gathered when she came out. It took four policemen to get her in the carriage. She said in America she had been to large meetings, but had never seen anything like this kind of excitement. It kind of makes me laugh, y'all. It sounds like a Beatles concert or something with all the people trying to chase the car afterwards. One time she got up to speak and sing and led her audience in a round of all hail the power of Jesus' name, except no one joined in. She finally leaned over and asked, why was no one singing? It turns out that in England, they sing that hymn to a different tune. She learned their tune and said over time, she learned to appreciate it. She really liked the United States version better, though. After she spent a period of time in England, Amanda traveled to India and then on to Africa. There, she continued to do much the same work, traveling and preaching the gospel. While in Africa, she also took up the cause of the temperance movement trying to persuade people away from the perils of alcohol. Perhaps because she'd been married to a man who drank excessively, this was an important project to her. In Africa, she spent most of her time in Monrovia, Liberia, and Sierra Leone. She says that the food in Africa was adequate, but took some getting used to. There was plenty of food, but not always what she wanted. (laughs) She writes about craving a mutton chop with butter, a roll, and a nice cup of tea with cream. She prayed all night for the Lord to take away the desire for things that she could not get. And when she woke up the next morning, sure enough, the cravings were gone. While in Africa, she also took on the care of two children, Francis and Bob. I guess you could kind of say she adopted them. She made sure they were taken care of and educated. She was faithful to her work in Africa, but spent much of her time there weak and sickly. She was often fatigued and complained of back pain. Amanda recalled afterwards that she wonders how she ever was able to do what she did. Sometimes she would go to church feeling so weak that she would have to pray every step of the way. And sometimes as she stood to speak, it would feel as if a hand was pressing on her back, holding her up so that she could deliver the message. She acknowledges that it was God's mighty touch that helped her. After many years, she headed back to England and then eventually back to the United States. After returning to the States, She focused on a passion project of hers to help African-American children in need. In 1899, she founded the Amanda Smith Orphanage, an industrial home for abandoned and destitute colored children in Illinois. There were many issues with this endeavor, mostly financial and logistical. And two years after her death, the building was closed. Amanda Smith continued to work and travel in her later years, 
and finally retired to Florida as her health declined. She passed away in 1915 at the age of 78. I got most of the information in this podcast episode from Amanda's autobiography, which was published in 1893. It's titled An Autobiography, the story of the Lord's dealing with Mrs. Amanda Smith, the colored evangelist containing an account of her life work of faith and her travels in America, England, Ireland, Scotland, India, and Africa as an independent missionary. And that, friends, is a mouthful. (laughs) Amanda is lovingly often referred to as God's image carved in ebony. Amanda Smith is a fascinating woman, isn't she? The words that come to mind to describe her are courage, faithfulness, obedience, and tenacity. She was passionate about the gospel and about helping those in need. Personally, her story caused me to think about faith in a much more practical way. The practical side of increasing our faith is stepping out in obedience and waiting to see God provide. Over and over again, Amanda would need small sums like 50 cents, and God would bring it in the most random ways. She prayed, and God provided. What if we lived like that? What if we prayed about even the smallest things and then waited in expectation to see how God would provide for the need? In this way, she knew she could trust him with not just the little requests, but the big ones. What about you? What stands out to you about Amanda Berry Smith's story? I would love to hear about it. Comment under today's show notes or join the conversation on PRN's Facebook page. Now, Amanda Smith's biography is long. I mean, really really long. Probably one of the longest books I've ever read. So clearly I did an overview for this podcast episode. But if you're interested in learning more about Amanda Smith, I suggest reading her biography for yourself. Or if you don't have that kind of time, I'll link to other resources where you can learn more about her in today's show notes. Well, that is all for today's podcast episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. You can find me at Pause Renew Next on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And you can subscribe on almost any podcasting app. Well, I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause Renew Next, the podcast. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus.